<laughs> Good job. What's up, TruckCast? This is Chris here with Hazel, my three-and-a-half-month-old daughter, who is uh, providing color commentary. Um, she, uh... <laughs> there you go. She's been very vocal these days. Um... So, uh, yeah, so, um, Jean asked me to, uh, to do a truck cast, do a dad cast here, uh, talk about being a dad, talk about Star Trek, um, socialism, all that jazz, um, and, you know, Star Trek is the thing I'm most expert in, uh, for sure, um, <laughs> so I thought I'd talk a little bit today about, um, about Star Trek and socialism and family and kind of how all that fits together. Um, there was an article in uh, Lifehacker, I think, uh, that someone shared with me. It was really funny because I was already thinking about this topic um, about, uh, you know, parenting the Starfleet way or something like that. And uh, it's really funny. When we're talking about Star Trek, I'm really talking about, um, oh, hi. Talking about Star Trek The Next Generation here. Um, and one of the things that I loved about that show, I guess I love it more as a parent, is that, you know, it, this crazy idea, this crazy notion in this show that you have... You have the flagship of the Federation, the USS Enterprise-D... There's a big galaxy-class hotel in space, you know. Um, um, there will be interludes for smooching babies and uh, giving them bottles and stuff. But um, <clears throat> one of the things I love is, uh, you know, this, this idea, right? Like, you have this, this flagship, and it's, like, incredibly dangerous, and, you know, they're always, like like, encountering uh, godlike beings that are turning people into ice cubes and shit like that. Um, and at the same time, you know, the... There are kids on the, on the dang ship. I mean, the ship has full of families, and this is considered uh, normal, basically. Um, and in fact... It, uh, that fact, you know, actually says something about Star Trek, and it says something about the values of Star Trek um, that I think are really important. Because, you know, when people talk about Star Trek being like socialist, right? I, mean, I guess we can back it up a little bit there. People talk about Star Trek being socialist, or like the like kind of a model of like a fully automated luxury, uh, you know, space communism. Um, they're really talking about um, the next generation. I think what we've gained far outweighs anything that might have been lost. Oh? Well, I'm not so impressed with this future. The huge starships and weapons that can no doubt destroy entire cities and military conquest as a way of life. Is that what you see here? Well, I know what you say, that this is a vessel of exploration and that your mission is to discover new worlds. But that, that's what the, the Spanish said. Deck 36. And the Dutch and the Portuguese, it's what all conquerors say. I'm sure that's what you told that, that 
blue-skinned fellow I just saw before you brought him here to serve you. He's one of the thousands of species that we've encountered. We live in a peaceful federation with most of them. The people you see are here by choice. So there are privileged few who serve on these ships, living in luxury and wanting for nothing. But what about everybody else? What about the poor? You ignore them. Poverty was eliminated on Earth a long time ago. And a lot of other things disappeared with it. Hopelessness, despair, cruelty. Young lady, I come from a time when men achieved power and wealth by standing on the backs of the poor, where prejudice and intolerance are commonplace and power is an end unto itself. And you're telling me that isn't how it is anymore? That's right. So Star Trek has constituted in the original series, I mean, you know, it was kind of... Uh, it wasn't socialist. They were they were colonialist, kind of imperialist, and it was about seeking out new life. But they were always getting into you know, really strange situations and on kind of a war footing. And it's just like a different it's a different vibe. But when the Next Generation debuted, it was you know Roddenberry, the creators, kind of opportunity to like actually do some things that were really frustrating for writers, which is that he thought there couldn't be any conflict in the future. People would have basically uh, all gotten along more or less. Um, you know, the conflicts would be small, not big. Um, you know, there's a, there's a famous quote from Roddenberry about, you know, they asked why, uh, one of the producers, I think, asked Roddenberry, um, you know, why in the future, uh, why was Captain McCard bald? Why was, you know, Patrick Stewart, they wanted to put him in a, a wig at first. There's like a screen test out there. And they were like, why is he bald? You know, in the, in the future, wouldn't they have cured baldness? And Roddenberry was like, well, in the future, no one would care, <laughs> you know? Um, and so... You know, Roddenberry was, a, was, like all creators, like an imperfect dude. And in some ways, the early seasons of The Next Generation were pretty dire. Um, but, you know, the, the one undergirding framework of this, like, really utopian um, sort of idea about of humanity, I think, is, is really cool. Um, and it's a world without money, explicitly a world without money. Money is seen as a sort of an evil and a bad, a bad thing, you know. Um, and one of the arguments um, that people make against, because there's a lot of, weirdly, a lot of Star Trek reactionaries out there who, like, uh, apparently, like, <laughs> haven't watched the show. I don't know. Um, but, you know, one of the arguments against this, they say, well, you know, it's not communist or socialist or any kind of is because it's post-scarcity, you know. Um, but in the timeline of Star Trek, you know, humanity, like, went through World War Three. And came out of it with a with a with an anti-capitalist, post-capitalist idea. Um, you know, it, it, people say in, in the show there's a technology replicators, and I'm assuming most people have seen Star Trek here. But there's a technology called replicators, matter replicators that you know can create food and materials and stuff from from pure energy, right? And it's like okay, it's like that's some real like space magic. And they're like, well, that's that's post-scarcity. You wouldn't need. Um, you know, you wouldn't. Our economic models don't fit it. And while it's certainly true that you know it's a it's a piece of fiction and a fantasy, and lots of writers have had their hands in it, the other part of the thought experiment is: well, imagine if capitalists invented replicators. You know, I mean, it would be like um, be like fucking diamonds. You know, I mean, uh, uh, controlled by you know one monopoly who's made it artificially scarce. Like, believe me. If anyone who has any like 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 understanding of of the ways in which capital moves, 
the idea that just having something that could provide post-scarcity would create post-scarcity is kind of laughable on its face. Like, clearly you need the society first to make sure that that technology is actually for everybody and not just, you know, for the hands of a few that, you know, like, can, you know, uh, control that technology, right? Um, so, you know, this is a lot of intertextual sort of reading, but, you know, it, it, to me it seems pretty obvious. And, and there's enough text in there to, to show that, you know, people got rid of the old frameworks and dichotomies of capitalist ideology before, you know, the, they became, you know, the federation that you see, you know, in, in the show, the Starfleet you see in the show and stuff. And, um, you know, I could, I could talk about this literally for hours and hours, and, and, and I may at some point. Um, but I want to go back to the point about families um, on the enterprise, which is like, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's so ridiculous on its face, right? Because like they're always getting blown up or stuck in time loops or, you know, uh, like regressing to their primeval forms or, you know, um, getting a weird fever that makes everyone want to bang each other. Like there's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? But at the same time, if you take it as given, there's something really cool if you think of the idea that like, here's this, uh, you know, uh, post-scarcity uh, exploratory, you know, fleet. And they're like, they've got their flagship, which, you know, is, is well-armed and everything. But um, they're like, yeah, we're going to put a bunch of, you know, scientists and families and kids and husbands and wives on it. And it's like, and we're not like, um, you know, we're not because not we're going to colonize the stars or anything, but because this is just like what people want to do. And what it suggests, I think, uh, is that there's a centrality of family. There's an understanding that family is a part of life and that family is an inseparable thing. Um, and that if you choose to do this thing in your life, of course you take your family with you because, uh, because it's really important that a society has children and, uh, and has partnerships and, you know, um, that, that all of the society comes with you, you know? Um, there's this idea um, in a different science fiction franchise, uh, a series of books called The Culture. Um, there's this idea in the culture, and culture is another, uh, it's a great, great series of books by Ian M. Banks. Um, the culture is a post-scarcity, uh, socialist, uh, basically utopia run by um, hyper-intelligent artificial intelligences and human beings and all kinds of things. But um, but there's this idea in the culture books that like every culture ship contains the sum total of all culture knowledge and the culture people carry with it. And basically that like every ship is a microcosm of society so that, you know, even if all of it were to be wipe, wiped out, if one ship remained, then the entire culture would remain. And I think this is, uh, that's, a, that's a big way of, you know, making a small point, which is that you know, there's this idea, I, I like this idea in Star Trek The Next Generation that there are all these kids on board because it's the idea that your whole society comes with you, what you value comes with you, and that you don't atomize it, you know? And that's the exact ap opposite of our capitalist society. Our capitalist society is entirely based on atomization, you know? It's entirely based on splitting people up, um, making them feel powerless and individual um, against huge systemic forces. It's about like, um, you know, like valorizing this idea of the individual so that people don't have solidarity with each other because solidarity is power. And the last thing power wants is a challenge to itself, you know? So you've got to keep people from, 
you know, feeling like they can organize together and be a community together, you know? Um, how you doing? You're doing great. Um, she's on the bottle right now. She's, she's very chill. Um, you know, but I think about it, you know, I think about it with my, with my little daughter here and, uh, you know, big shout out to New Orleans DSA, um, and in particular, Kate Root, uh, of, of this truck cast who, who keeps these, keeps the wheels of the truck cast spinning, um, you know, who organized a meal train for me and my family when we had our daughter, um, uh, because having a kid, you know, the, the end of pregnancy in the early months and weeks are extraordinarily challenging. And, um, you know, our DSA comrades brought food by constantly. I mean, it, it makes me really emotional just thinking about it because it, um, it, was, it was such a simple thing, uh, but we got so much support and just, just, just in, even in food alone, I mean, it transformed a really difficult time into one where we felt like we had community and that we had people who supported us. Um, and, you know, we don't have family down here. Um, and even if we did, it wouldn't be the same kind of powerful moment. I mean, it would be, it would be some family came down and they were very helpful and all that, but, but it felt different to have like the solidarity. Um, uh, a comrade and, and friend of mine in the chapter said, uh, uh, today actually that they wanted communism for my parenting. And, <laughs> and I had to laugh at that because it's, uh, um, you know, I, I do too, you know, um, it's been really, really hard, uh, now that, uh, my wife's gone back to work. Um, she has said that she feels like every day she's at work is just robbing her of, um, robbing her of time that she'll never get back with Hazel. And the reason she's at work is because her work has healthcare. I'm a freelancer and I'm looking for work with benefits now so we could swap places if, but it's, it's really hard. And I've built a whole freelance career and the reality is we try to make it work, but while we might be able to absorb the cost, of, you know, what, what she brings in, if we like really tightened up, we can't afford that and healthcare for the three of us, you know? Um, I know this is kind of a rambling aside, but I mean, you want to talk about the need for Medicare for all. I mean, we are, it is torture uh, for her to be away from her child and she's doing it. She's sacrificing because we need a health care plan because there's no universal health coverage. It completely eliminates our ability to choose something for our family and for ourselves, um, for the good of our relationship, for, you know, for love, for a good upbringing, you know, and it's like, it's really, it's really a struggle. Um, and it's just one of the many ways in which our, you know, our crappy <laughs> society um, atomizes people and forces people into bad decisions and creates resentments and tensions and strife. And it's not like getting rid of capitalism would, would get rid of tensions or resentment, but these, these pressures are not necessary. Some pressures in life are necessary, and these are not. These are not some, you know. Um, I'm sorry, that was the that was on a tangent there, but, um, but yeah, I you know so, kids on the enterprise, you know the atomization of folks. You know, talk about the meal train and communism for parenting, and 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 it goes back to I know there have been some pretty good essays and stuff written about. Um, you know, the nuclear family and actually how the nuclear family, this idea of this tiny family unit 
um, is another form of atomization, right? There's an adage that it takes a village to raise a child, but in reality, we're a nuclear family-based society, which is basically uh, a just acceptable enough unit of people, you know? Um, and of course, a unit that, you know, historically has reinforced patriarchal uh, values, you know, um, and, you know, the, the dad goes to work, the mom stays at home with the kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, some of that's breaking apart now because there's just so much pressure on everybody to make enough money to survive and not enough uh, money to go around. It's all being hoovered up by, like, you know, uh, 1,300 dipshits in the top 2% or whatever. Um, but, you know, or it's like the top 0, 1% or whatever. Um, but... Uh, you know, it, it, we need to get back to this, like this, this idea that you know we all we all do it together, and we all like kind of like live and, and, and share those values together because it's a really beautiful thing. And just like everything else about socialism, you know, it's the learning that when you do things together, it's just easier. It's easier for everybody, and it feels good for everybody. And you know, not that feeling good is the point, but ultimately if people feel like they are a part of something and that they are a part of something that supports each other, you can't, you can't help but feel better about it than you do if you're a lone individual, atomized and, you know, with, with not enough support. You know, it's just, that's how it is. And I mean, there's, there's really nothing like, there's really nothing like kind of coming a parent to realize how deeply America hates kids. <laughs> um, they America hates kids. They hate it hates this society hates families. I mean, there are a lot of things. Of course, uh, there are so many issues in America where the the rhetoric and the mythologizing is basically the complete opposite of what it is in practice. Um, but I think that it wasn't until I became a dad that it became just so stark for me how much this country hates kids. Um, you know, we hates kids and hates families. Um, they need kids and they need families. You done? You're almost done. Um, but they, but it hates them. I mean, because a country that that really valued, you know, uh, people being able to form families would have paid parental leave and paid, uh, you know, maternal, paternal, etc. Um, like everywhere else in, you know, the the, the developed world or whatever. Um, uh, you know, they would have. Freaking, um, you know, healthcare for children. It would have universal childcare. I mean, childcare is so hellaciously expensive. It really makes it once again forces you into a series of really challenging choices, um, ones that we're gonna have to face, you know, soon enough. Um, and uh, okay, you know, and it's. Uh, I mean, that's just really, and that's just like scraping the surface, you know? I mean, we put, we put so little into education, you know? Everything is about the pursuit of profit um, to the detriment of the human beings involved. You've got the, the Trump administration, you know, uh, tamping down on food stamps, which is obviously detrimental to, to families. And, and frankly, the existence of food stamps and not just as a means-tested program is a disgrace. Um, you know, I mean... Healthcare, housing, childcare—you know, these things should be should be human rights. Food should be a human right. I mean, I'm, I'm that's, that that might sound radical, but it, you know what? It's fucking not actually. Like, if we can if we can afford 
uh, and I mean afford not in a, a fiscal sense, but as we can afford as a society, as like a you know producing unit to take care of everybody. And we can currently today, we could do it. Um, and we don't, then it's a fundamentally immoral society. And it's a fundamentally one that hates, it's one that hates children. I mean, it really does. It hates children and it hates families. It says it doesn't. Um, but everything having to do with children and families, generally wow. speaking, is about control. You know, this country is addicted to control. <laughs> Controlling women, um, controlling workers. Uh, it's, it's only, the only thing this country worships is control and money. And it makes us a fundamentally broken society, you know? And a, being a socialist means believing that society doesn't have to stay broken, you know? Because, like, the, uh, the amazing thing, of course, is that when I talk about, I'm talking about America writ large, I'm talking about our actions and what our, what our actions say about us, what our actions, you know, our policies, our lawmakers, um, our history says about what we value. But I also want to be clear at the same time that like, you know, it's, it's not a given, you know, and when I say America hates families, I don't mean individual Americans hate families. Lots of individual Americans, individual people in America love kids. They love families. In fact, I would argue people do everything they can in their power to constantly be fighting the forces at work in our society that... that demean uh, parenting and demean their dignity as people and demean families. And it's all dressed up, though, in language of individuality and individual responsibility and, and, and just those bullshit canards, you know, to make them feel like if you don't work yourself to the bone to afford X, Y, or Z for your kid, that you're deficient. Not that society's deficient, you know? Um... Or if you can't make ends meet, you know, if you can't get your kid into the right school, or if you can't, you know, that it's all about you. It's all about the individual failing because, you know, the, 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 and the opposite implication being that, I think, being that, like, well, because society is set up for you to win, but it's not. Society is set up for you to fail unless you have a shitload of money, you know, because all we worship is money and power. That's what all this is about. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. You've got it all wrong. It has never been about possessions. It's about power. Power to do what? To control your life, your destiny. That kind of control is an illusion. Then what will happen to us? There's no trace of my money. My office is gone. What will I do? How will I live? This is the 24th century. Material needs no longer exist. Then what's the challenge? The challenge, Mr. Offenhouse, is to improve yourself. To enrich yourself. 
Enjoy it. And what's beautiful about socialists and socialism and what I think is the fundamental truth that I have seen uh, expressed in, in real time, I've seen, I've, I've seen it in practice, uh, you know, that is, is this idea that things don't have to stay this way. Um, and I think really importantly, uh, this is also ultimately, if you, you want to talk, I'll you know, digress very briefly into the upcoming Democratic primary. It's ultimately why you have to go with a Bernie Sanders, a socialist, an avowed socialist. I know people say he's a social Democrat, blah, blah, blah. But the important thing is his vision is fundamentally, his, you know, uh, he says he's a socialist. His vision is fundamentally socialist. It's not about reform. You know, it's about organizing for power to change the fundamental fabric of our society. You're never, ever, ever going to get that through bills and reforms and technocratic wonky solutions because these people are too far removed from the struggle at the ground level, you know? And even if they weren't, you can't fix a system designed to exploit people to maximize profit. It's impossible. It's impossible. And Star Trek knows it, you know? Uh, you know, the, the pursuit of profit is no longer the driving force in people's lives, Captain McCard says. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's, uh, we work to better ourselves in the whole of humanity. Like, um, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember if that's the exact quote, but it's, but it's pretty much that. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's a, that's a post-capitalist. That's a socialist, you know, idea. And, you know, that's what we're working towards. You know, um, it's impossible to see how it would be otherwise. I want spaceships, and I want replicators, and I want families on those spaceships. I want our society to to be just and to be fair and, you know, to be flawed. I mean, I don't want it to be flawed, but it will be flawed. To be human is to be flawed, but um, we already have the resources to do better. We have a resource allocation problem, right? Because Because money and power are addictive and, uh, you know, gravitational force, you know, I mean, a, a tidal force, you know, but, but organizing is also powerful. And I believe that we can win this. I believe we have to win this. Yeah, we have to win this. You know, Hazel knows we have to win this because this planet isn't going to be fucking around very long, much longer if we don't win this. We've already done so much damage. The capitalists have already done so much damage to our society. The industrialists, the policymakers. You know, if we don't Green New Deal this shit, if we don't turn our society around, there isn't going to be... My, my daughter is going to be the, the end of... Look at her. She's beautiful. It's going to be the end of things, you know? And, and now's the time to fight. There isn't, there isn't another time, you know? It, it's, this is it. And I want that Star Trek future, you know? I grew up believing in that future. Uh, I'm, I am a utopian at heart, you know? I, I, there's, uh, you, you will never not be rewarded by being cynical in terms of feeling good about being right. Um, but it won't make you feel awfully great. And I, there's no reason to be, uh, you, know, you know, Pollyanna either, but... It's so important to stay optimistic. It's so important to believe that you can change things because the second that you stop believing that you can change things is the second that the people in power who make things really bad win. And we have to win. And we have to believe. And we have to believe in each other. And I do. I believe in each other. And I believe that socialism will win. 
And I believe that society can change for the better and that humanity won't <laughs> won't run itself completely into the ground. You know, I, I think that we can strive and that we can achieve and all that bullshit. <laughs> I learned... Um, I've been singing You Are My Sunshine to, uh, to Hazel, and um, I didn't realize, actually, when I started doing that, my dad used to sing it to me when I was a kid, I didn't realize when I started doing it that uh, it was like the state song in Louisiana, and that's you know, where we found ourselves. I'm from Rhode Island originally, and my family's from, uh, most of my family's from New York, um, so I didn't, I didn't know that, but we've, uh, Laura's, Laura changed the lyrics, my wife Laura changed the lyrics around a little bit, so I think... Um, I think to end this uh, podcast, I'm going to just sing a little bit to my baby, and uh, hopefully you folks have enjoyed my just kind of ranting and rambling while we, uh, while we did a bottle and, and you know, had some, had some dad time. All right? Live, uh, live long and prosper. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. So please don't take my sunshine away. You are a swamp thing. You are a baby. And you were born in New Orleans. We want you to know about the ocean. But the swamp is where you're from. Peace, y'all.